Hi, I'm Rob Manstel, and I have really goofy-looking headphones, and I'm here with uh, Jamie Nye of CJME, CKOM, uh, The Green Zone. And uh, Jamie, welcome to the Rider Rumblings podcast. Um, I just had to have you on. Uh, I, w- I wanted to anyway, but uh, once I heard that post-game show on uh, yeah. Friday night, uh, it was uh, like then I the, uh, the appetite was really whetted. I, I think that's the... Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's got to be the most censoring you've ever had to do on a, on a green yeah, zone post game. I, I had show. to hit the big red button a few times, uh, more than I would have liked uh, on that one. Um, I think it was up to three, so I think that that sets a that sets a record. And I'm, I'm thinking of the most calls ever, and it's not number one. Number one is still the Corey Chamberlain playing Tino Sinceri against Ottawa benching Brett Smith when they fell to 0-9 in 2015. That one, I think we extended the post-game show for an extra hour and still had calls on the line when we signed off. Like it is, But, yeah, uh, Ryder Nation, I think that loss to the Elks was the straw, I, I think, for Ryder Nation on how much they actually believe this team can turn things around. Well, it's interesting, Jamie, because they the Rough Riders hadn't been sacked eight or more times. They were sacked eight times on Friday. They hadn't been sacked that often since that infamous August 30th, 2015 game in Ottawa. So uh, eight sacks this past Friday, 10 sacks on that dismal afternoon in Ottawa. It just, uh, eek, it just, yeah. I I knew it was, there was going to be a, a vitriolic reaction, but it Honestly, I just you, I just couldn't quite grasp the degree to which people were furious until I until I listened to your post game show. Well, and and it was because it was the Elks. Uh, like all season, people have been yeah. kind of mocking Edmonton and mocking Chris Jones on what's going on there. But that team is very much like the team we saw here when Chris Jones took over in 2016. It was the team that was remade and had like a hundred guys in and out of the lineup all over the place and what happened that season they started what was it one in ten and then they they won a bunch of games at the end and I think that's where the Elks are and it's like two teams going in opposite direction the Elks are starting to get a little bit better at each week you can't say that for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders you could say that for a few players like Cody Fajardo's game was getting better compared to what it was in the summer and end of the summer but not anymore. Like this team is all of a sudden looks like in a tailspin and then Hamilton beats Winnipeg out of the blue. And there is a realistic possibility. I I know good friend of the post game show he calls all the time is Keith in Saskatoon. He's one of our callers who's driving back to Saskatoon is Keith Willoughby of the school of business who does the, the numbers on the CFL simulation and the simulation numbers now have the riders missing the playoffs. Like, it is gone oh from they're in the playoffs almost guaranteed to, oof, are they going to miss? And what a collapse that would be. Well, I remember thinking before the Edmonton game and not really taking it that seriously because I did not see it materializing, that what on earth would the reaction be if the Rough Riders lost to Edmonton? And then I thought, oh, no, like it won't happen. And then sure enough, it happened. So now I've kind of gone a little bit beyond that and thought, what would the reaction be if they blew the crossover playoff berth that only a few weeks ago seemed to be a a virtual certainty? I can't imagine 
Although I think we got a taste of it on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was the same way. I, I, I was thinking, they're, no, they're not going to lose to Edmonton. They're not going to lose to Edmonton. It's just, why am I even thinking <laughs> thinking these thoughts? It's a home <laughs> game. Cody Fajardo's playing better. Uh, Frankie Hickson can run the ball for days against the Edmonton Elks. The, the, like all these things, they should be able to own this one. So, and I think that was the lead up for a lot of Ryder fans. It's like, yeah, we're they're going to win this one. They've lost four straight, but the streak ends here at Mosaic Stadium. Uh, I mean, lose four straight home games, and then it didn't happen. And now there is that realistic possibility. And I'll go back to 2015, and I know I cited that Ottawa game that season going in. There was a lot of people talking about. Is Corey Chamberlain on the hot seat? Is Brendan Tamman on the hot seat? And I think they won a great cup two years ago. They were eight and two. Like their quarterback just popped his Achilles at the start of the season. Like there's, there's no way. Like they have the season. Like they're back in 2016 was my thought. Uh, unless, and then I said, unless the wheels fall off. Well, the wheels fell off. And it feels a lot like this season, except. It's the early part, early part four and one. You're thinking, oh, Craig and Jeremy, and they'll be safe unless the wheels fall off. And it goes, well, are we at the point where the wheels are starting to loosen uh, on the bandwagon, so to speak? And I would still think they, they've had some good favor with back-to-back West Finals, but it's pro football. And who knows what a dismal end of this season could mean for, unfortunately, some really good people who I know you and you and I have a lot of respect for. Not only have the wheels fallen off, I'm not sure there's any sign of the axles anywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's, I, and you know, you cited it, Jamie. I mean, they fired Brendan Tamman and Corey Chamberlain only a year and a half, a season and a half after they won a great cup. Well, Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson are two seasons removed from a 13 and five season in first place. So, Yes, they had that 13-win season, and it's the Rough Riders' highest win total since 1970. But it's their trajectory that concerns me. Uh, they were 13-5, and five, then they were 9-5, and five, and you can see the offense really slipping last year. And now, now they've gone from 4-1 and one to 6-8. and eight. Whereas, where was the trajectory when Chris Jones came here? He inherited a 3-win team. It went to 5. It went to 10 wins and one defensive stop away from getting to the Grey Cup game. And then uh, 12 wins. So 5, 10, 12. And then mm-hmm. with a lot of players that Chris Jones brought in, uh, they finished with 13 wins. And since then, 9 and 5. A decent season. Got a home playoff game. Got to the West Final. Only lost by 4. And then this mess of a season. So it's the body of work and their overall the overall record of Jeremy O'Day and, and Craig Dickinson would lead you to think that they're safe. But when you look at where it's trending, that's where I think they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Or at least you think one of them would be at the very least. Yeah. And that's what, and, and there's a lot of people, pl- I think playing, coaching, maybe managing for jobs in the final four games of the season. And, uh, but I, I don't know what more Craig can say or do to get this team over the hump other than, his post-game thoughts were, I, I don't know, Rob, what you t- took away from it, but I think one of the most to-the-point direct we've heard Craig Dickinson this whole season just tell his team that they're not good, and he said it. Uh, we're not a good football team. He said it's not all the sacks are on the offensive line. Cody Fajardo needs to step up. 
and our quarterback needs to step up rather than step out. And sometimes he's stepping into sacks. So it, it, it was Craig, I think, sending the message going into the bye week, like stop believing you're going to catch lightning in a bottle. And as Cody Fajardo said in the post game, or scare people in the playoffs. I couldn't believe the words came out of his mouth when he said it, that they're going to scare people in the playoffs. I'm thinking, who are you scaring? You can't even beat the Edmonton Elks. Like nobody's scared of you. Now, they might be if they turn things around after the bye week and, you know, pull off what would seem to be a miracle today by beating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But there's a lot of work, and I think this is now all over to the players. And some of the comments that are ringing in my ears is we just recently saw Ken Miller going to the Plaza of Honor. And when he was in town, Rob, he, he said a few things when he had the message to the team, which was the best discipline is self-discipline and the best motivation is self-motivation. And right now, I think the Riders have a locker room that has a lot of players who maybe aren't really self-motivated and definitely aren't self-disciplined. And those things have to change if this season's going to start going in the right trajectory because it is going swirling, as some would say, uh, down the, you know what, uh, in the the bathroom right now. And how does it change at this juncture? Now... Never say never. It's professional sports, and we've we've seen goofy things happen. Um, but honestly, I look at the team, and I just don't see where there is a a lot of reason for optimism. Um, if they can't fix that offensive line, and they've done nothing to fix it so far, what's the prospect of things improving? Now, Dan Clark could be back by the end of the season. Logan Furland should be back soon. Uh, Taryn Vaughn should be back soon. But uh, in the cases of Clark and Logan Furlan, they were part of an offensive line that wasn't very good last year. Mm-hmm. And now it's worse. Um, that to me was the, it's been the, I mean, that's been the issue for well past a calendar year now, and it's gone unaddressed. So if it's been allowed to fester for this long and it's gone unrepaired for this long, how suddenly are they going to be able to, fix that it, it seems to me to be a, a an irreversible problem yeah and that's and a lot of fans are thinking that they're gonna wave the the wand and all of a sudden pick up two american beast tackles from nfl cuts and they're gonna show up after the bye week and lock it down like that just that just doesn't happen in the canadian football league um so but and what and you you say it well like logan furlan's back taron vaughn's back dan clark's back well of course, we haven't seen a lot of the season with Dan, uh, but Logan Furland and Taron Vaughn have played side-by-side side on an offensive line who've been part of an offensive line that have allowed the league's most sacks. I know not recently, but e- even in the summer, they were on that line allowing sacks. So I- I'm not sure what they can do. other than, And Craig Dickinson also said scheme can be an, is an issue with protecting Cody Fajardo and the quarterback. So, And I, I remember the beginning of that Labor Day Classic it was run the ball. Cody was getting the ball out of his hand quick. Maybe some hurry-up offense that they, they did later in the game against the Elks. Those types of things I would like to see the Rough Riders do a lot more often. It's like they go to it, it's successful, and then uh, it starts to slow down a little bit. And when they start to slow it down, it seems like the defensive line of the opposition can pin their ears back a lot more and get after Cody. Yeah, it seems to be, oh, this is working. We can't do this anymore. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's it's counterintuitive. I see it in uh, football I, across I, the board, though, Rob. I saw it in the, with my, my Raiders the, uh, the, the, in the <laughs> second half of that game. As uh, Can we have some Josh McDaniels hate here on the uh, the podcast? But it's just one of, I don't know if coaches overthink themselves going, oh, we're now predictable because we're successful. So they're going to put in a defense or an offense that's going to counterbalance what we just did so well. I, I'm, I've am i always been of the opinion, keep doing it until they stop you uh, type mentality. And that's what I think a, a lot of Ryder Nation wants to see from Jason Moss, especially with the run game. Just keep handing Frankie Hickson or Jamal Morrow the football until they stop them. You know, I'm at least once per pod, for once per podcast, I have to play the I'm really old card. So I'll do that right now. I mean, I grew up watching Ronnie and Ronnie was of the keep going to it until they stop it. You know, if George was having a big day, George would keep getting the ball. Uh, I remember the, the Rough Riders beat Edmonton 40 to nothing on August 15th, 1976. It was 37 nothing into the third in the third quarter and they tried a quick kind of look in hot pattern hot you know just a quick pass to bob richardson tight end easy 10 yards next play takes a snap bam bob richardson again next play bam bob richardson again same play three plays in a row fourth play ran the same pattern with bob richardson ronnie pump fakes everybody goes to Bob Richardson and he flips it over the top to Tom Campana for a touchdown. But he kept going to the Bob, to Bob Richardson. Prove to me that you can stop it. Uh, you know, Shaq Evans gets open on the deep route in the first quarter. And then they really didn't use Shaq Evans much after that. Well, it looked like Shaq could probably could have a pretty good day and they abandoned it. Um, and yet they're, they're steadfast in going back to something that is proven not to be unsu- proven to be unsuccessful in, in Winnipeg, in the Banjo Bowl, at second and one, they do the handoff out of the shotgun formation, and it's a slow-developing running play, and Frankie hits Hicks and gets stopped for no gain. Q third and one, they throw the ball. Cody Fajardo's pass is dropped. So what happens on third and one against Edmonton last week? Shotgun handoff, Frankie Hickson, no gain. Adam Kodar totally diagnoses the play, has a nice running start at it. He certainly had plenty of notice because the play was just really clumsily executed. They keep going to this, and it doesn't work, and they keep doing it again. That's the that's the frustrating thing. What should be the staple of their game is often abandoned, and, and what they should abandon is often embraced. Yeah, and on that play, that third and one, uh, I, I remember the confusion on the field during that play. Oh. Like, right before, Cody's turned around, and he's talking to Frankie Hickson and I think it was Braden Lenius and Kyron Moore were out to the right, and then they start shifting back, and they, they stop, and it's it was utter confusion on what's going on. And our game day analyst Felton Johnson, I, I I asked him on the post game show, I was like, how how does that stuff happen? Like, there's install for these plays all week long, and he and he's just yeah, it's just not prepared. You're just, they're just not prepared for that situation to know who's doing what. As so, and I know Lenius is back from the NFL and Kyron Moore is back from injury, but still uh, Kyron Moore has been in the playbook all season uh, and they're, they're pros. Uh, they're paid to do this sort of thing. So yeah, uh, there, there's a, a few times uh, when you have to question what's going on or it's a second and seven and they do a flare out and the defense just rallies for a epic two yard gain. So we can see, uh, Kari Vedvik 
uh, hoof another punt down the field. <laughs> what do you make of the booing? Boo away. They deserve it. <laughs> Don't they? Like it, yeah. I, it, this season, we're it, like in the, the re- world we're living in right now, we're talking a lot about inflation. We're talking a lot about gas prices and people being gouged and people not having a lot of disposable income. So those who do have the disposable income and want to invest in traveling down from Saskatoon or PA or in from Yorkton, okay, now they're uh, having a buck 50 a liter gas prices and tickets that aren't being discounted by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at all, nor should they be really. It's a pro league. You set your ticket prices at the start of the season. You buy the tickets, you go in for, as Belton aptly pointed out a few times, $9 beers and expensive food. And you haven't seen a home win in now five straight games. And during that that second, third quarter, I think the Riders had all of three first downs in like six or seven drives. They they were putrid. It was awful to watch. Everybody in the press box is just like, I'm sitting next to Daryl Davis and Britton Gray and, you know, Joel Gasson and these, and we're all looking at like, oh, they're going to lose to the Elks. And I think that was the feeling of the fans. It's like, are we really going to lose to the Edmonton Elks? And they, there's only one way to vocalize your frustration and that is to boo so boo they did and i i think the riders and the offense that they deserved it they deserved to get booed in that second and third quarter against edmonton you know i've heard this on your show and i I totally agree the there seems to be a woe is me mentality that is pervasive on this football team and i just don't think it's healthy and i think it's a as much of an alarm bell as, as anything that's audible from Mosaic Stadium. Uh, I've never seen a team that just appears to be this fragile. I cover, I watched back-to-back 2-14 and 14 teams that seem to be mentally stronger than this one. And uh, I just, they're, they're quick to almost rationalize away a loss by saying we were sick or we were injured or we had a long, we had a short week and we had to fly to Montreal. It's like they're almost building in their excuses and it's self-fulfilling and they're in woe is me mode. Again, it's almost like the offensive line and that seems to be irresolvable. How do you get that out of the ether? How do you build a team or, or suddenly transform a team into one that is, I think, mentally tougher than this one seems to be? Oh, it's part of what might happen in the off season, which is uh, you have to look at the leaders and go, okay, who's part of the core that has that self-motivation, that self-discipline. I played it yesterday uh, on the show, which was Darnell Sankey's post-game thoughts. And in the post-game, Darnell Sankey said it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if we're injured. Nobody cares that we had a short week. Nobody cares. It's a, this is professional sports and you have to produce and we're not producing. So we have to look in the mirror. I have to look in the mirror. He said, we as a collective, but then I also pointed out himself, I have to look in the mirror and, and figure out what I need to do to produce. And and Darnell Sankey has been one of the most productive players on the football team. And I I think that's what it is. I, I think you look at the culture of a room and the core group of a room and you, is that, part of the issue on trying to turn the ship around because there's definitely that what's the what's the latest excuse we like you said we had a short week 
The flu thing in the banjo bowl, I'll give them that one because that sounded absolutely horrific. But it was interesting, the one side of the ball that was better than the other side, the, the offense, the offense was hit by the flu bug, the defense wasn't. And the, de- the defense <laughs> was the worst part of that football game in the Banjo Bowl. So, uh, and yeah, I, I think it's it's quick to go to, well, what went wrong this week and why it went wrong this week. And it's the external things they're paying attention to. And the biggest thing needs to be internal in that locker room, in those meetings, and individually man-to-man on what they can do to be better, not, oh, well, we have a short week and, you know, we have injuries. And it's almost, you know, like you say, it, it's almost like they talk the losses into uh, reality because of how mentally, is it fair to say mentally weak they, they seem to be uh, at some times? Maybe that's unfair, but that's the, the best I can say about it right now. Like, um, and I, I wonder, factoring that in, this team's four and one early in the year, and suddenly you have the Garrett Marino firestorm, and they're two and seven since. And the two victories, one was against the BC team that had just lost Nathan Rourke, and then ended up facing Pipkin, and the other one was against an Edmonton team that went out of its way to try and to, to give that game to the Rough Riders. They easily could have lost that second game in Edmonton. So. You could almost put an asterisk beside the two victories that they've registered since mid-July. Um, but something, you just wonder if something happened as a result of the Garrett Marino mess where they couldn't even celebrate a victory against Ottawa because that had overshadowed everything. And that just seemed to set off something. It's We'll never know for sure. It's might be a, an indefinable thing, but... The fact remains they were four and one. That happened. They're subsequently two and seven. What on earth turned this season from one in which they look like a championship contender to can they beat Hamilton and get into the playoffs? Well, you'd have to think not everybody was sold on the we're standing by him mentality Mm -hmm. Um, and the indecision that went on, like we're going to give him a second chance. Uh, I like we're all human. We all had different opinions on that. And I can't believe all 70 some guys in that locker room were fully on board with keeping a guy who's being accused of, you know, not, I don't want to say the R word, but comments on Jeremiah Masoli's heritage. And there's guys in that room who are friends with Jeremiah Masoli. This is a small league, right? Like Larry Dean was one of his teammates uh, back in the day. So that's where you start to look at going, okay, and the celebration on the injury on was everybody sold. And a lot of people called that night and said, cut him, get him out of town. And they didn't. And I'm I'm fully on the side now looking back. And I know looking back isn't quite fair, but looking back, they should have. They should have just cut ties right then and there, let him serve his four games and go back, go to the USFL or whatever it is. Because after that game, his first snap back, he nearly put Lucky Whitehead in a hospital. Like, he just missed landing a blow to Lucky Whitehead on his first play back from that suspension. And then he blows up an offensive lineman in that, which was a, it was a dirty play. Some people are defending it, but you know not to move until the center moves. And that was the center who didn't move, and he blew him up anyways. Uh, so that's where I look at 
okay, uh, enough's enough. When they kept him around, then he smoked Zach Kalaros. So that's where I look at this team going. I, I wonder how much of a fracture in the locker room because I noted there was only three guys standing behind Garrett Marino at that scrum. And it looked like there was a lot of people walking by kind of going, okay, what, what's going on here? Like, really? Yeah, where, where were the rest of them? If you're going to have a show of solidarity, I think you need more than three or four. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, you might as well not bother because it just it just looks foolish. Yeah, so uh, that... Now it looks especially foolish. But, and after the game, like, Craig Dickinson was asked, he says, we're not, we're, we're a worse football team without him. And I go, Really? Like Garrett Marino was the linchpin to this entire success of this team. I'm not buying it at all. On I know Anthony Lanier is out as well, and that's part of the depth issue with his team. But if you lose one defensive tackle, I can't believe Garrett Marino was the glue that was holding this ship together. And if he was, no. wow, he must be one heck of a leader that we never got to know. Well, just too, it just seems like, they allowed this distraction to fester. Okay, he gets he gets uh, suspended. His first uh, practice back, he t- finally talks to the media long after that should have been done. And then the story keeps recurring because of the uh, subsequent indiscretions. Then they release him. And Craig Dickinson said the first practice of the following week, the team wasn't in a good mind frame because the release of, of Garrett Marino had, had been lamented at least to a degree in the in the dressing room so they don't do anything about it at the time and to be fair I didn't suggest at the time that they cut him again hindsight being infallible I wish I I think I I should have been stronger there but uh, I wasn't at all surprised when there was a recurrence but uh, they because they didn't deal with it at the time it just got worse and worse and worse It, it hung around it was this cloud hovering over the team and then as soon as he comes back the discussion on day one instead of looking ahead to the next game it's Garrett Marino's back he's finally talking and you've got that that little show of support behind him uh and then they cut him and that affects their preparation on day one of another week even in even in his absence there was a there was a an effect we're not manufacturing that that's what Craig Dickinson said mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, it, and that's where it just, I go to the, it, it, it just festered. And that's where I go to the the mental toughness of a team. Like it's pro sports, guys get cut, and if you can't, if it affects you that deeply, like that, that's where you go to. Pardon me, and I don't know if a coach can toughen them up, but if it's just the personalities, if it's the leadership, but I went back and looked at, I've I've done it. I've looked at your stories from. When their riders were going through struggles uh, dec- a decade or so ago, or Zach Kalaros, I tweeted out our story yesterday where he got booed as the court, and he got booed after a four-game winning streak. They come home, lose to Ottawa, and they're booing a team who was very good on a four-game winning streak, and they booed him. If there was any quarterback who could have flipped the bird to the fans for booing him, it would have been Zach Kalaros in 2018. Instead, he says, "I would have booed us too." Like <laughs> instead of it, yeah. it really hurts to have your fans boo. And that's where I, I, I ponder who's, who's the leader, who's going to turn this, grab this team by the collar and shake them up and, 
and it, I don't think it can be Dickinson. I think it has to be a leadership meeting in that room going, okay, enough of this. We are not good enough. Now's the time. And it sounded like Duke Williams was that guy. Craig Dickinson said it after the game that Duke Williams said, okay, we have six weeks uh, to show and prove ourselves. But I also question Duke being that guy. Like Duke is a guy who's been seen swinging helmets at the opponents in pregame stretch and, you know, took a, one of the dumbest penalties as a injured player on the sideline in the Labor Day game. So, okay, I'm glad someone did it. And I'm glad Duke's showing leadership. But again, he also has to show that self-discipline and everything else that he's not going to do those selfish uh, penalties in crunch time. And actually get back on the field and start making plays. Yeah. That would be step one. Is there, should it be from an yeah. injured guy who, unfortunately, it sounds like that leg injury is a lot more severe than initially thought. And couldn't they use Duke in a receiving core right now, now that Shaq Evans and Kyron Moore and Kean Schaefer, Baker, and Brandon Lennius are all there? Like, that is your 1A group if Duke Williams comes back to the lineup. I'm of two minds about Cody Fajardo right now. Um, you know, Craig Dickinson said, and accurately, that some of the sacks can be, be blamed on Cody. He just does not look comfortable in the pocket. And when you've been sacked as often as Cody Fajardo has, I'm not sure how you could be comfortable in the pocket. How can there be trust in that, in that protection or lack thereof? You know, and I hear him talking about the booing after the game. And it strikes me that, again, we go back to the fragility of this team. I contrast that with the elevated play of Cody Fajardo since being benched August 19th yep. against BC. And uh, his quarterback rating is over 110 over the past four games. His, his completion percentage is 76. He's thrown four touchdown passes and only one interception and is running the ball in a manner that is reminiscent of 2019 or even, even 2021. Um, so I see, I think if there's a foundation for hope for this team, and you have to remember, he's still playing behind that offensive line. I think it's the fact that Cody Fajardo, um, as much as we've questioned the mental toughness of this team and, and even the mental toughness of Cody Fajardo has been called into question, at a time when he could have crumbled after being benched and how how admittedly uh, it, it took a toll on his, conf on his confidence, he is playing not superlative football, but much better football now uh, than he was a month ago, uh, despite the fact um that the protection continues to be porous as ev evidenced by the eight sacks uh on friday so there there is that no, and, and and cody is i i'm of two minds there's an off-field cody that i i wish wouldn't fall into the the trap of the excuse game and the woe is me game like I, but that's who he is uh cody fajardo is as a human being one of the nicest community-oriented, friendly human beings. And I think he wants that back, like treat others as you would wish to be treated. So he treats people like that. And he would, mm -hmm. thinks he deserves it back. Unfortunately, he's in a job that is extremely intense, that people want results and really don't care how nice a human being you are. They're going to boo you if you're not producing on the field. But there's also the on-field Cody Fajardo. And... There haven't been many quarterbacks in, in rider history that have the toughness that Cody Fajardo has. Like Cody Fajardo would 
literally run through a wall or at least give it his best go for the team on the field. And we, we see it all the time. He gets up limping. He gets up. He, he's playing with, you know, the the uh, torso injury and tr- trying to fight through it in 2019 and all these things that have been happening to Cody Fajardo, the knee. He, he probably could have elected to have surgery and been out for a while, but no, put a knee brace on it. You know, put some duct tape on it and let's let's give it a go was Cody Fajardo's mentality and good on him on the field. I think Cody Fajardo is someone who really wants to will this team to victory. And I can't believe how many people want to see Jake Dolagala and Mason Fine. Like that, oh, that to me is goodness. ludicrous on really uh, have any of those quarterbacks shown anything. And they said and a lot of the defenses, well, could it be worse? Yeah, it could. Yes. Dolagala's thrown more <laughs> interceptions and touchdowns in his little limited time. And Cody Fajardo, I'm sorry, has taken a team to back-to-back West Finals. Cody Fajardo is the guy. There's no question uh, on who is going to lead this team if it's going to be anybody uh, to a home Grey Cup as improbable as that is today. It's going to be Cody Fajardo. So that's where I'm of two minds. There's the, the off-field guy in Cody with that, you know, I kind of go, if I was, you know, the media relations person, I'd be telling Cody, okay, don't stop it with the, you know, woe was me stuff. Like people don't want to hear you lament that you, you heard booze and stuff. People want to hear you look internally and be the leader and go, what can you do to be better? And that's, I think what fans want to hear. Uh, but on the field, I think Cody gives it his all. There's no question. Sometimes he's making you- bad decisions but he's given it a 100%. There's no question uh, that he's giving it his all on the field. It should be remembered, too, that he guided the team on a seven-play touchdown drive, culminating in the pass to Braden Lanius that put the Rough Riders ahead, and then it was the ever-reliable Rough Rider defense that, that allowed Taylor Cornelius and Darrell Walker to march the ball into field goal range. But And Cody Vajardo, for as much flack as he takes about his perceived deficiencies as a passer the pass he threw to Kyran Moore for 20 yard gain to get them down to the seven yard line what an amazing throw now it was a uh, he had a lot of mustard on it at the sort of like one of his corn dogs but at the same time he had to have enough guy, touch <laughs> oh, that's right <laughs> the one thing I don't like about Cody Pajardo I hit ketchup um at the same time that he had to throw the ball with some authority to hit that window he had to put it over a linebacker. So it was, it was, it's, it might sound contradictory, but there was some propulsion behind the same pass that was also feathered. It was a, and in a clutch situation. And that set the Rough Riders up for the touchdown. On the first down, guess what? The offensive line turns into paper mache again. Cody did everything he could just to get rid of the ball. He, 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 We've not for his elusiveness there. It's not second and down from and goal from the seven, and subsequently third and goal from the seven. It's second and what 14, 15. But because of his elusiveness on on first down, I think it, what might look like an inconsequential incompletion ultimately saved the day. At least it, it seemed at that point that it might. And so again, I I I, don't, I haven't heard anybody say, well, yeah, but Cody led the team to a touchdown drive that put them ahead. Then the defense faltered. That just seems to be absent from the discussion. Maybe I go too far sometimes in defending him, but I think that the pendulum swings too far as far as 
people who are are uh, critiquing him rather harshly. Well, there, there's two there's two things to that, which is one of them for me is against the Edmonton Elks that they shouldn't need a fourth quarter drive by Cody Fajardo. Yeah, like, yeah. like that offense went completely kaput, and that's where you think throughout his career there's been a lot of fourth quarter comebacks when they've been ahead early and then the offense just goes nowhere and he can't find a rhythm. And it's not until Cody Fajardo's pushed into a wall is where you see the best Cody Fajardo. That can't happen. That's not, It's happened in the playoffs for a couple of years in a row where all of a sudden the fourth quarter, here comes Cody. But against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, it was A, too little, too late, or a goalpost gets in the way. And that's, again, too little, too late where – you have to rely on those types of things to get a win. And it's the consistency of this offense. And I, I think Cody is deserving of the criticism because he has those just woeful moments. And for sometimes it's long durations of a football game where you know, Taylor Cornelius, Taylor Cornelius outplayed Cody for journal. Like he did. And that's not good to, ha- to have and see in September that a guy that looked like he had no hope of a starting quarterback in the Canadian football league is all of a sudden playing what is paid to be one of the best quarterbacks in the Canadian football league. And Cody's not that anymore. He is out with Taylor Cornelius. Like he's fourth, fifth best quarterback in the West division. And that's not what we're saying about Cody. So even his play is, is dropping. And and I'm wondering how much, defensive coordinators have figured it out on well, how to go after Cody Fajardo. You wonder if Chris Jones has just set the template that everybody else is going to adhere to now. Rush with three, sometimes four, put everybody else back into coverage. Uh, if Cody does have time, it probably doesn't matter because you're, there's not a lot of receivers against a bunch of defensive backs. They're leaving a fullback in, they're leaving a, uh, a receiver in to block. So not only do you have your five offensive linemen engaged against a, a lower number of defense of pass rushers, but you've also tied up a receiver and or a fullback. So suddenly it's not like you're sending six receivers into eight or nine. It's five versus nine. (laughs) Yeah. So the it's, it's like virtually everybody is double covered. There might be one guy with single coverage and that will probably be your weakest receiver. Um, So there's the template. How does the template get busted? If teams are going to do that, you would think it would stand to reason that you should be able to run the ball, that there really won't be a, they're not going to be loading up the box against the Rough Riders. So you, why, why can't they run the ball against that? The running game was so ineffectual against a team that really didn't place a high priority on having a lot of people at the line of scrimmage. It just, that's what mystifies me. What, how, could, how could the running game not work against that defense? No, and, and it's interesting you say that because I, th- I think what Edmonton did well was almost the linebackers were playing run early. And once it wasn't a run, they were like, boop, okay, bailing out, bailing out. And so you're playing one-on-one coverage with the receivers off the get-go. And then you have the linebackers falling back into almost a zone or a cover defense and then taking away the short hot routes if they weren't running the football, it was who, who to thunk it masterful defensive philosophy coming from Chris Jones on <laughs> how to, how to beat a Saskatchewan rough rider team. So 
as expected when it comes to Chris, either the man can coach and the man can game plan. And he's finally getting the the talent so that he's looking for to win football games. So um, I think maybe the riders are happy. They don't have the Edmonton Oaks as much as it's the blue bombers, the, the Calgary Stampeders in three of their final four. And I don't know how many games do they need to win Rob? Two? I think they need to win two of the final four to make the playoffs. I almost think it's yeah. to that point. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a number, but it's who are those victories against? If they beat Hamilton, yes. as, as, as goofy as it seems, the, the West Division games don't seem as important to me as the interlocking game. That one against Hamilton, if they win it, that's that pretty much guarantees them a crossover, I would think, regardless of what happens the, the rest of the way. But should they... Should they lose that one? And Hamilton's also got a game in hand. Mm-hmm. So if, if they lose that one and, and and Hamilton's showing against Winnipeg wasn't a mirage, again, we circle back to what we talked about earlier. If we think it's ugly now, wait to see what happens if they blow the crossover. It uh, it might not be much of a Great Cup festival week around here. Yeah, I, I, no, we'll still party. Like That's not good crazy it's not going to be like 2013 but Saskatchewan will still party uh but uh I that Hamilton game you're bang on and who knows maybe maybe they come out and beat Winnipeg you never know with this Riders team we've seen it so many times they win games they're not supposed to and lose games they're supposed to win um Mm -hmm. like the game against the Edmonton Elks so we just never know but that Hamilton game in three weeks is it might be the season. It depends what when Hamilton does the next couple of weeks, but we could be we could because they have a bye week after that again. Like the, the, all of a sudden they have a bye week and then another bye week, and they have to sit for two two weeks without a game, and like hope for help now. So, yeah, that game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats might just be the season on whether or not this team makes the playoffs. And I can't believe it. I just can't believe that we are talking about this team potentially missing the playoffs because when they were four and one, we were saying what a West division race this is going to be with BC Calgary and Winnipeg. And now it just seems after BC's win, maybe this is just Winnipeg and BC because even uh, Calgary has started to sag a little bit in the back half of the season. Jamie, I asked you for a half hour and I lied. It's been well more than well over a half hour. <laughs> thank goodness we're not paying you. Uh, thank goodness. Thank you for your good nature. Um, tell us a bit about uh, the Green Zone, what you got coming up this week, and where you can be found. Uh, of course. Uh, well, I think Rob Vanstone's coming up this week on the Green Zone. Um, uh, oh, yes, that's right. Sorry about that. <laughs> to talk a little football. Just don't don't ask me for a lot of time. I, I, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Yeah. I got I got 12 seconds, and then I'm gone. Yeah, one, one question, <laughs> one answer. It'll be like a Diamond Ferry News Conference. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to get a sandwich or whatever he was eating Uh, taco. What was he eating? Yeah. It was like a bun or something anyways. Uh, but yeah, uh, on 980 CJME and, uh, for those around Saskatoon, 650 CKOM from two to six. And of course at green zone SK on Facebook and on Twitter, my personal Twitter is at Jamie Nye. And of course, our game day coverage, uh, two hours pre, two hours post for uh, every Ryder game. So uh, coming up next week against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers after this bye week. Jamie, I suffered with it. I have to mention it. Um, We once had a stake throwing incident over this. 
I remember Josh McDaniels very well from his tenure with the Denver Broncos. It was not a pleasant time for me and uh, for many people. Um, now Josh McDaniels is the head coach of your beloved Las Vegas Raiders. Hopefully not for How long. Is... <laughs> <laughs> I get Nathaniel Hackett. You get Josh McDaniels. What have we done to deserve these coaches? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. The Both decision-making, like Nathaniel Hackett, oh, I have to get the play call into Russell a little quicker. Yeah, think? Like, my goodness, <laughs> the decision-making there. And then Josh McDaniels, it's like he totally forgot about how the Atlanta Falcons lost a 28-3 lead by not running the football. And was he, what does he do in the fourth quarter? He doesn't run the football to kill time and gives Kyler Murray all the time in the world. Uh, let's rush two 300-pounders to chase around one of the most athletic quarterbacks. Great game planning by the Raiders to blow that one away. So here we are, Robert. At least your team has a win. I'm not sure when mine, my first victory with Josh McDaniels will come. Probably when he coaches against Nathaniel Hackett, um, <laughs> which he has the pleasure of doing twice this year. <laughs> Anyway, that's it for our uh, NFL Rumblings podcast. Uh, Jamie Nye, thanks again so much for uh, being so generous with your time and thoughts. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Rob. By the way, I have to read this to prolong your agony even further, Jamie. If you enjoy the podcast, please, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email me at Rob Vanstone at no, I blew it at rvanstone at postmedia.com and we'll read it on the show. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Rob Vanstone. Jamie, where are you to be found on Twitter? At Jamie Nye. Nice and succinct. Unlike the uh, the uh, podcast where I totally stretched it beyond the uh, reasonable request. Jamie, thanks again. Uh, Jamie, uh, special guests. For our special guest, Jamie and I, I am punting this all over the place. I'm Rob Vanstone, and we'll do this again next week if I'm still employed. Take care and have a great day.